What's going on, family? Uh, hey, Black Hands Podcast, episode 163. We're talking about black masculine care this week. And um, it's mental health month. And so usually we jump right in. We've been consistent with jumping right in with no checking in. But because it's mental health month, we're going to do a check-in this week. And so, uh, Chris, how you feeling, man? Oh, wow. <laughs> you always got to wonder if you're going to lie for this question. I'm good, man. Uh I say it every single time that we, that you ask this question or anybody asks this question. I'm blessed. We have food, we have shelter, um, and you know the family is doing well. We have the normal ups and downs of life. Things are wearing on me over time, uh, so I'm not a hundred percent, but I feel blessed. That's what's up, Reefus. How you doing? Hey man, it's uh you know just a lot of go- a lot going on. Um, you know, especially when you think about just in Philly, and most of these are, are black youth. Most of them are, are uh, black boys and, and black men. But 180 murders um, already. Mm. Uh, it's not even June yet. Um, and so and we know there's always an uptick with, uh, you know, in the summer. So, you know, it, it's just it's just rough. Um, it's, it's really rough. And when you're thinking about, you know, students who are going through this, who have loved ones and um, neighbors, community members. And remember, people who got killed at 180, that's usually, you know, the people who've been, you know, maybe shot is usually around three times that. So just the the, the amount of uh, violence that people are, you know, subjected to. And that way that we didn't even get into the intellectual, cultural, emotional, and spiritual violence that, uh, that uh, people face every single day. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and I have a lot of hope and inspiration from uh, so many. I posted this, uh, you know, on social media earlier. Like, you know, for every one of those stories, there's so many um, uh, young black youth that give me such hope, such inspiration that are, if they are listened to, they actually have a lot of the answers that we uh, claim we're seeking. So all that's going on, you know, just a seething cauldron of conflicts. Mm. That's what's up. Charles, how you doing? I'm good, man. Uh, this is a, a favorite topic of mine. This is the stuff that I write about and research around black black males and uh, full left left Oakland and um, got to see off of a 46 year educator, uh, Black Panther, just dope dude, and uh, premiered a movie that's actually talking about some very similar theme stuff about two boys in the East Bay who are stepbrothers and just what that lack of love or, or need of love looks like and how it plays out in two different folks. So I think it's a good topic. And um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited for our guests. All right. That's what's up. We could bring our guests on uh, Dr. Marco Clark, who is uh, now, what, what, what is, what is your title down at, at, at Richard, the Richard Clark, uh, I'm sorry, Richard Wright uh, school of film. You know, I'm just a founder and CEO, man. You know, most people call me America's toughest principal. Uh, you know, I got that label a while back, man, for being no nonsense, you know. Yeah. So when you say no nonsense, man, we're gonna have some fun with this. What 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 does that mean? Because I, I I think Reef is a tough principal. I think I'm a tough principal. What, what does that mean? Hey man, I'm no nonsense with everybody. I, uh, that means parents, kids, community, stakeholders, funders, all of them, man. I, I put everything on the line every day because, you know, we got a mission that we're on, man. And that mission is about saving kids. It's about saving lives. So for me, you know, I can't listen to, uh, you know, the, the, the craziness from outsiders. I need people who are committed to this work, man. And that's where I am. That's what's up. And so, fellas... 
I know that there's an article that's associated with this. Uh, it's the seminal work of Dr. Lisa Bass, who was down at North Carolina A&T. And so she developed a framework um, that's based off of Black masculine care. And so um, it's pretty much, you know, there's a lot of unwritten things that Black men do in terms of caring for their students that's not in scholarship. It's just, it just comes second nature. And so Dr. Clark, you're the perfect person to have on this show for this topic as America's toughest principal. And so can't wait to dive in. And so uh, we'll kick it off with Reef. Reef, man, what were your takeaways from this article? I think the, the biggest takeaway for me is really the, the nuance necessary when we're talking about, you know, black boys, black men uh, specifically. Uh, we talk a lot about like how often there, you know, there's so many, you know, 80% of the public school teachers are white, vast majority are white women, a place like Philadelphia, 24% of the teachers are black, only less than 5% are black men. And so what we see is like, you know, uh, so often they get lumped in, but what we know with our lived experiences, as well as what the research uh, and the article contends is that there's some nuance, some specificity uh, that that is needed in the development, support, coaching, mentoring, et cetera. And that they're also bringing in a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of their lived experiences. And this is why uh, it's so important that it's uh, more of a balance is able to come about in our schools and our school systems and what that, you know, and what that means, you know, I, I think, and it, the article also just shows just a level of consistency of what I experienced as a student, as a teacher, as a principal, what, uh, the Center for Black Educator Development did a survey uh, and uh, in partnership with Donors Choose, and we pulled out what the black men were saying and how consistent it was from when I was teaching back in 1993 to now, when they folks who are teaching right now in 2022 and what they said about their experiences. So just we see this pattern um, that I think is is often you know uh, neglected and you know to our own peril. Yeah. So, again, I've been prompted to reintroduce this article because I didn't talk enough about it. Uh, you know, we got the, the, the other doctor on the scene who was uh, geeking out behind the scenes. And so this article is called Black Masculine Caring and the Dilemma Faced by Black Male Leaders. Uh, Josh is going to put it uh, in the chat so that for those of you that don't have access to it can have access to it after. And uh, this article is by Dr. Lisa Bass and Dr. Kendrick Austin. And so again, we'll share that in the chat. And so, Chris, man, you know, I I know you said it was homework, but what were your takeaways from it? I mean, you know, I think just think reading it myself and feeling like a little bit of an outsider because it's not my role within the schools. It was enlightening to see that there is so much more to think about when it comes to black male leadership. Uh, you're not just the same as any other principal. It's not just an occupational class. That there's a lot that goes into thinking about how the, how black male or black leaders get placed, what schools they get placed in, what roles they're supposed to play once they get there, how it's different than the roles that others are supposed to play. It's just a lot to think about as somebody who thinks of schools from a parent perspective, you know, and who you know. Right now, one of our principals is uh, a black male principal in a district where there aren't many of them. And he has imported a lot of other black males to work in his school. This is uh, one of my son's schools. And it's interesting, I think, from the parent perspective on the outside, the sense of our perception of what we think the role he is supposed to play once we get one. 
like once we get there, there we, we're expecting that they're gonna look out for our kids a little bit more, that they're gonna understand a little bit more, but we don't always see the politics that go into their role and their position in negotiating other parents, the district that they work in, the stereotypes and perceptions of, of how they're supposed to be, how they're supposed to act and how they're supposed to show up. So um, I, I, I left with more questions than takeaways, to be very honest with you, um, and wanting to have more insight into what it is, what it's like to be in that role. Yeah, that's dope. And I'm glad you had those takeaways because now we can bring Dr. Clark in after Dr. Cole uh, gives his synopsis. So Cole, man, your research, a lot of your research is based off of this. You do mm -hmm. uh, you do studies uh, on black male school leaders in, in, in urban charter schools and, and, and in uh, traditional public schools. What were your takeaways from this? Yeah, I, I think actually Chris did a good job. Uh, and, and I like Chris's thoughts because as a lay person, right, as somebody not in that piece, I think it can show kind of full roundedness of what a, a principal's job is. I think a lot of people don't actually know what a principal does. That's not a principal. Uh, I think that just some of the findings were, were, were things that people could get behind. Um, you know, one of my things is always... I, I, one of the things that I worry about in articles like this is that they leave out the academics a bit, but they did mention it towards the end. But just... I, 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 I wish that it was a bit more germane to the actual framework, the academic excellence. But it was really... Uh, for the people that haven't read it, it's really about what your your role as a steward over black minds as a principal is. Um, and I think it did a good job of laying that out. I just like seeing the intentionality uh, behind caring about our black boys without like the snark or putting them down or, you know, all this extra added stuff that I don't think is always needed. So uh, I can get out the way on that and we can let the our amazing guests get in on that piece. But I, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that it was short, too. Uh, it's something to be said about short articles. And you know this, you write in a dissertation. <laughs> Some articles just be long for no reason. Uh, and it's like, you could have said that a lot quicker. So Dr. Clark, I man, actually like long articles, but go ahead. Long articles when they're good. But I, but once you, when you like do a research, and, you know, Marco and, and, and Ray, like when you're doing research and stuff, you reading a whole bunch and you be like, okay, after page five, bro, you was done. You didn't have to do no more of this, but that's all. That's what yeah. I told Ray on his uh, dissertation when he got to page five. I'm like, yo, make this a one-pager, bro. <laughs> Just keep it moving. <laughs> Go ahead, Ray. Jump in there. YSL, whatever that means. Whose mic was that? Um, I think it was yours. Hey, so so, so Dr. Clark, man, jump in here. What, what are some things that you do as a black school leader that are often unseen, like those unwritten things that you do to communicate with your kids? You know, first of all, I just want to back up for a second and just like I'm I'm really this this article was really impactful for me because this is the first time I read anything that really talked about exactly what we go through on a regular basis and the expectations that families and the communities have for us. Also, the children, what they're looking for when it's time for us to come in and do our jobs, man. It, you know, it, it, it highlighted some of the aspects that there are so many different things that we must know in order to do this. So on a daily basis for me, what I'm looking at is that I'm looking through the eyes of what I wish education would have been like when I was growing up. You know, there, there was a situation where, uh, you know, I've, I've challenged myself to make sure that kids don't have a poor public school education 
and that the individual that's in charge, which is myself, has a real understanding of every kid that I'm serving, every family, trying to make sure that I'm clear about what's going on with them. And so this article really brought out the, the, the greatest impact is because we are the social workers, we are the teachers, we are the, the ministers, we are the, the, the psychologists, and, and, and we're not just that to the kid, we're actually that to the entire family. So when I look at this, man, and just to, to bring up that word black masculine, like to me, that got to the, the to, to the center of of something. I, I, I think it uncovered what people have been hiding about the great work that we do as black men, you know, and, and bringing a community along and how we are actually caring for these young people. So in my daily walk, I can tell you right now, we start in the morning at the door, you know, I'm meeting the kids at the door. Uh, we have this thing called family matters, which is a transition that goes from the, the outside to inside to let you know that we're caring about you. We want to transition because we understand that some kids never had, they didn't have lights the entire weekend. They didn't have clean clothes. So to be able to come in and have an embracing aspect is so important and telling them that they matter is the biggest thing that's there. The, ex the next thing is is holding my, my teachers accountable for understanding that the greatest instruction level is how you're going to uh, provide a, a positive future for our young people. You can't dummy down based on their prior circumstances, but rather provide supports that would allow them to move forward. And so on a daily basis, I greet my kids in the morning and I finish at the end of the day, even if I'm not in the building, now that we have this, this um you know, this platform of Zoom, I'm talking to the kids through Zoom before they go out in the community so that we can make sure that we have a full course day that makes things happen. That's what's up, bro. Um, but so really, really quickly, before we move on any further, right? I just want to shout out the fact that I know that my Pahara cohort 40 uh, 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 fellow mates are in the audience right now. And I know that because... Uh, they're there. And I know that no other member uh, of the A Black Hands that's a uh, Pahara fella has any of their cohort members that are in the audience right now. So I just want to shout that out. So first of all, Tangent, Captain Tangent is off to <laughs> off to good start already. The audience is like, what's that? What is right. Pahara? And, what? And, like and, and I just want to say for the, uh, those of y'all who don't know what Pahara is, you're welcome because it's a tangent. So, so just so you know, uh, you're not hurt by a harm by it. And yes, some of my Pahara cohort mates are in in the in the uh, in the audience. But Dr. Clark, uh, see, this is the this is the type of thing that you probably have to deal with when you decide who gets uh, who gets suspended and who gets you know put out or how you handle classroom disruptions and uh, class clowns and you know like I'm sure you have to think about all of this, which makes me want to raise one thing with y'all. Because I'm just going to ask this. This is an honest question uh, in my takeaway. Where you asked for our takeaways to this paper. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I, I said I have more questions than takeaway. This kind of is a question, though. It still felt to me like in reading this, that there was one type of black masculine, monolithic black masculine that's being talked about. Right. So I get the wanting to deal with zero tolerance, the effects of over-identification of special uh, education in Black students, the roles that Black males are put into oftentimes as a disciplinarian, those type of things. That's, that's stereotypical about this conversation at this point. But our kids exist in all kinds of different kind of archetype structures, right? Like their archetypes of who our kids are, 
They're not all the kids that are at the wrong end at the zero and uh, a zero tolerance. They're not all listening to hip hop. Not all our teachers are, not all our black men are in one variety. Not all black kids are in urban settings. Not all black principals are in all black schools. Matter of fact, we have lots of black principals that are in white schools and they have a different set of problems that they're working with. So when I read articles like this, and this, I don't know how to phrase this question, but it feels like it's carrying on a tradition of a stereotypical uh, reductivist look at what black male, black maleness is, even as it's saying we shouldn't do that. Uh, and that really wasn't a question. I guess it is a question. I'm like, I'm trying to, to raise it in like that. It, it felt to me like it wasn't everybody's experience. Neither the students nor the the, the black male leaders, right? I, I need to know if it's a if it's a comment, Chris. If it's a comment, I'm just like, all right, cool. If it's a question, I'll, I'll you know, we can. It really is a question. A like, like I didn't know. But if it's just your comment, then I'm like, I respect it. You know what I mean? But if it's, I think it's a question. Then I can push on that as well. I didn't I know how I felt. I felt that way about it. I didn't know if that was the right takeaway to have. I just felt as I was reading it, it seems like when we talk about black males and black children, we're repeating a stereotype that not all black kids, when you work with them, fall into. Yeah. Right? I, so I mean, I mean, in the spirit of just conversation, and you know, uh, and and you know, I know you just want us to jump in, just have a good conversation, Ray. I would say this. I think for me, it felt needed because. I do a lot of reading in that space. And I think that sometimes it does kind of try to capture the whole or try to capture the essence and it leaves out this particular group or this particular group is often particularly like otherized. They're like always problematized, right? So to have somebody actually pay attention to this group of young people. So I often say I was a super square throughout my life. And if people scared of me, you definitely can't be serving the kids that you say you care about in Detroit, Chicago, Oakland, or whatever, whatever the case is. You know what I'm saying? And I think that this part, especially when you look at Chicago and these other places, I appreciated just the magnifying glass of this slice of student. But I will say academia does have a lot of there's other research that's happening for different type of black males, males in general, uh, the way people identify. So I personally was refreshed to kind of see it say ma black masculine males or whatnot. You know, yeah. that's just me personally. I'm not the yeah. arbiter of right or wrong, but mm -hmm. so not. Not that it's not that you know what you're saying is right, not that you're saying what is wrong is your opinion, right? And so, like, I gotta respect the fact that you that was your takeaway from 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 reading the article. Um, however, like when you when you look at scholarship in in, in this space, there's not a lot of scholarship on black male school leaders, right? Period, right? There's a there's a there's a gap in the research when when it comes to that. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. I I think any kind of capturing of 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 what's going on in terms of like uh, trying to capture the psyche of black men. And how they do the work is something that's valuable to to, to literature, right? And so, are you going to capture everything in a, in an article? No, right. And that's why you got to like part two it, part three it, and 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 write a book, right? Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, but but in thinking about and thinking more critically about what you're saying, like I don't I don't think you're wrong in, in, in what you say because like you know right. a lot of times folks want to capture the hard nosed person that's like zero tolerance and whatever, but like. You know what about the nurturer, right? Like, what about the person that is able to like build connections and 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 uh, and, and 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 puts up with way more than they should put up with, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, because of that nurturing, you know, that nurturing spirit, right? So I think there's a lot of ways. And black men are not monolithic, right? So you're not gonna find one person that's gonna fit in one box. So yeah, Chris, I, I get what you're saying. Dr. Clark, bring bring yourself in here, man. What, what were your thoughts about what Chris said? 
Well, first of all, I mean, I understand exactly where he's coming from, but at the same time, I, I was really enthused by the article really focusing on where the majority of uh, black male principals are. I mean, and they are in urban America serving uh, the, the greater mass of, uh, of kids that look just like them. So, I mean, it's really important. I, you know, I want to back back up for a second with some things in the article I was thinking about. You know, my, my organization has been open for 12 years. I've had one expulsion, one expulsion during that time. I have 96% attendance on a daily basis, and we are graduating kids at a high rate and getting scholarships. Kids are going everywhere. Those kinds of things aren't uh, really highlighted amongst the masses because I'm serving the lowest socioeconomic kids and that ain't supposed to happen. And so I'm believing that, you know, these things in the article, it talked about that, like, you know, you're under the most scrutiny. But what happens when you arise above that, you 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 aren't given the credit typically that you deserve, that you've been able to execute even in the midst of the mud. And so while you've got these other uh, uh, principles, as Chris stated, that may be black and in and pre predominantly white. White uh, institutions, they're not still getting the, the the understanding because it's the it's a quote unquote the norm that they're supposed to be great educators. That the school is supposed to be performing well because you got this group of students in there, and it's like a normal normal situation. So yes, a lot of times they're giving the the grace of where the school is doing well, and so it's kind of like the school's doing well. Then it's under the leadership, but if you look at the schools that have so many challenges, they will always put the principal in the forefront, but they won't give them the credit that's deserved based on the data that's there. And this is a, uh, and I know this from, from daily work that I'm doing consistently, that kids are, are, are making things happen, but the credit is not coming at all. And so I, I continue to push forward because I recognize that these children look just like me. And it's my responsibility to make sure that I get them to the next level, regardless of what's being said and regardless of how it's being looked at. Right. So really quick, Chris, before you re respond to that, uh, I just want to just uh, bring in some data. Right. And so um, in a recent article, I read 11 percent of of principals uh, nationwide are black or identify as black uh, principals. And then 7 percent of teachers nationwide uh, identify as black. And so um, when you think about the, te the the principals that are getting those tough assignments in urban school districts, they're usually the black principals. So a lot of a lot of that data that we're talking about, those principles skew towards uh, those tough assignments. So you may have some anomalies or folks that are in the suburbs or whatever, you know, like respect. I respect that because that again, that's a different challenge, right? And so Chris, if you want to talk about the challenges that one may uh hey, Reef, let us say hi. <laughs> No, she don't want to say hi. Okay. <laughs> there she goes. She's like, what, what What? are we talking about? <laughs> yeah, hey, She's hey, like, yeah, I, all suspicious. I Ray, love the kids. Uh, you servant leader. You servant leader, Ray. Uh, <laughs> so, Chris, jump in here, man. What were your thoughts? Um, I don't know. You, you know, listen, it was it. what I said was a comment, like, uh, and a question. I, I, I do think. 50% of our kids are not in the urban areas anymore. So 50% of black children are in the suburban schools. 
those districts aren't the stereotype of what we used to think suburbs were and are. Those districts are different now. I would love to see the data on where black male principals are placed, but I do know that some of them are out in these other environments now too. Um, and why I don't think that you can do any paper that gets at everybody, uh, you better know where all your people are and the many different experiences that they have. I do think that we have an awful lot of attention to the urban black male crisis thinking. Uh, and, you know, I push back on it a little bit. I don't think all of our black males are in crisis. I don't think all of our urban schools are terrible. I don't think all of our urban situations are worthy of all the awfulizing. I don't think we're having one experience amongst our people. Our people are having a range of experiences, but I think the way that we talk about it, it goes back to the, how does it feel to be a problem? You know, mm -hmm. mine from many years ago. We always talk about our problemed ones. I don't think that that's an area where academia and others are spending too little time thinking about. I think our black geniuses and our black, uh, like, like, listen, I'll give you an example. Every year, Urban Prep in Chicago puts out a thing talking about the number of its students that number one has graduated, number two has gotten accepted to college, and how much in college money that, they, that they've gotten. Um, and I always like the the inspirational part of that. I always share that information with others in my network. Right now, I love graduation time every year because you start seeing the stories of the black kids that are getting millions of dollars in scholarships or beating the odds in multiple different ways or whatnot. There's always this undercurrent of like the beat the odds part of the story, but it's just the good news that happens every year at this time. When I was a school board member, I used to love attending graduations because I would hear so many rich stories that you would never hear about in the wider kind of discussion and discourse. So I, I don't think I'm making a point that's profound or is, is great, but I, I, I do think that there is something to expanding the humanity of the way that we talk about ourselves and what we talk about our kids and not always rooting it in struggle um, of the kid or the, 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 the awfulizing of it. I don't know how to say it. Cause it sounds, it sounds like I'm almost like, would you say I'm sorry? Do you see this as awfulizing though? And, and the reason why I asked that is uh, one, I'm glad you brought up Tim uh, and shout out to Tim. We got to have him on because every year he put out his numbers and every year he starts to get attacked. So those attacks- He gets hate. Growing. Every year he gets hate. But they grow up loud, right? They say pushing kids yeah. out. They say doing a lot of stuff. We should just get Tim on so he can just yeah. talk about it if he yeah. wants. But two, I do think that we do a lot of awfulizing. I think that also in the realm of academia and in this, where you are trying to solve an issue. And I think that when you look at the overwhelming numbers of black kids always at the bottom of this, that, and the third or whatnot, like it is, I didn't see it as awfulizing. I saw it as if you're going to take the mantle of this job and you're going to serve the people you say that need to be served, here is a framework in which it, so, so we can avoid this awfulization. So you can actually be accountable. So you can actually hold a higher standard. So for instance, my, my criticism was, Focusing more on the academic achievement piece, because I think a lot of times black principals, especially black male principals, are often unfairly asked to choose between culture and academics, culture and academics. And, and that's kind of an insider baseball thing. You know what I mean? So I think an article like this, it, I look at it as this job of like, no, no, you're responsible for both. You're responsible for managing the finances and you're supposed to do X, Y and Z. So I don't see this as even being about the kids. This article is more about your role as a leader, 
here's what research is saying. And you know what I mean? So I agree because I agree with you a thousand percent on the authorization piece. You know what I mean? I also just know what these are supposed to accomplish. Right. What this what this was trying to do. So um, but I, I don't disagree with you. I, I just wanted to because I cause, yeah, that's all. That's why I was wondering if you saw this that way. Yeah. I, and I would say that I think, you know, I would uh, agree Chris, like that. Oh, to Chris's, um, okay. to Chris's point, like we need a lot more study voices, perspective experiences, you know, from all, you know, from everything, everywhere um, that, you know, black men are interacting and intersecting. I mean, Cole, I don't even think a lot of black men are given a choice between right. academics and, right. and culture. I, I've, many of them get the, the hard line expectation of, oh, this is what your, your role is going to be if you want to be employed here. This is the, mm -hmm. the route that I'm going to give you. Even where we, we talk about schools and the schools that they end up getting slotted. And it's two types, right? Like, I, and, and I know y'all hate when I do talk about nuance, right? Like, it's two, two, <laughs> two levels to it, right? Mm -hmm. um, one, we end up in schools that we are, we're like firemen running to the fire. We're mm -hmm. like, you know what? This is the underserved. This is the place. This is where I grew up. So I'm running here. And it's, it's underserved. It's, it's uh, you know, immersed in, in uh, racial bias and, and straight out racism and all of that. And we also know that that's where they're going to funnel us in addition to where we may want to run to um, at the simultaneously. Right. Like in many of these places, you probably even in the and I agree with Chris, like there are more uh, black men in different spaces. And the outer ring of Philadelphia has at least three or four black men superintendents so that I never you know what i mean just like that was that was rare back in the day you didn't see that you know um some of them have had succession of black men superintendents which is also a different you know and this is in the suburbs and i don't know how much their lived experience and professional experience is coming out in studies in articles in feedback um so i, I would say you know both you know i think there are two which you all have said as well you know they both of these things need to be uh elevated and um you know and discussed and, and dove into but i would also say that there's a there's likely still a whole lot of if we did a venn diagram just being a black man in whatever that space is because you're still in america and you're still in the school system mm -hmm. and growing up being black in america black man in america and being a black man in america's schools there are a whole lot of similarities that we can draw from and, and grow from these are one of the very reasons why we have we started hosting black male educators convening right because mm -hmm. All of these things that uh, needed to come out and be discussed and addressed. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Bro, did you just plug your convening? It's not my convening, bro. It belongs to the community. Oh, oh. he uh -oh. was ready. Yeah, he was. Ready. Ready. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. It was I, like... I'm going to, I'm, and then that cap why, that why, cap that. No cap, no cap, no cap. Because it's necessary. It's a necessary thing. But that's why I'm going to amplify. Oh, you were invited anyway, but go ahead, <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Clark. You see, you, it's a, it's double dust, bro. You gotta be ready to just jump in this thing, hey, Dr. Bro. Clark. But Cole, I gotta... Chris, Cole and Chris have a conflict in their schedule. Ray wasn't invited. See, it's just, it's just nuance. It's, it's, there are differences in, in people's lived lived realities. Hey, so Dr. Clark, man, you got a you got a large clip of students that are going to college every year, right? And so, like, how how are they getting there, right? Like. What's, what's the secret sauce? First of all, it's a requirement. So, like, you know, my kids are required to get five acceptance letters to colleges. Like, they can't mm -hmm. graduate without it. That's that's a must. And so I get a lot of complaints from parents. Because I hope, I'm hope i hoping that we're going to talk about some parents in this, this whole thing, too, because mm -hmm. 
some some parents are aren't doing their job, man, and they are driving this bus in the wrong direction from what the work that we do every day. Some of the parents get in the way, but I'm gonna tell you, honestly, what's happening is I require five uh acceptance letters every year and kids if you score lower than a b in 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 the school you got to redo classes over so one of the things that's helping me a lot is the fact that i don't allow kids to move until they master the course so if they don't get a b average they can't go which is helping my uh uh uh, opportunities for kids because these are kids that don't have money they need scholarships they gotta have it Mm -hmm. in order to get there Mm -hmm. and remain there right it's not enough to just get them there so you know we set up a a profile of kids so i I got some kids i'll say to them this is your reality you know when you're in the ninth grade this is where you are you know you're not going to go to temple you're not going to do these other schools right you're going to go here you're going to go to cheney you're going to go to lincoln this is where you're going Right. And there's about five of them that we can get a good profile so they can understand exactly where they are. And then they start to see themselves in their reality. And with that, then we get money. So these kids are going in. Listen, I'm doing a, a, a creating an employment uh, uh, a mill for kids that come out of my organization. When they graduate, they go to college, they graduate. I bring them back and hire them to do things so that we can recycle to pull that thing again, because other kids can now see themselves in someone else other than me. And I'm building a pipeline because I'm not going to always be there. So the reality is, is that we're able to make this happen. And in my school, we have all athletics, right? But I'll tell kids in a moment, it doesn't matter. It's just not about winning for me. It's about you getting on a team so that you can uh, uh, learn leadership, camaraderie, and things that's necessary, how to network and be able to move forward. That is the the, the most important thing that's what's happening and that's the secret sauce that we have it's around bringing out the best in kids academically socially emotionally and teaching them the network and the political onset because i'll say to kids in a moment it doesn't matter who you are how much talent you got if you don't understand who who controls the money and who controls the pipeline then you haven't learned anything at all and that's the direction that I'm talking to with kids. So when we go on trips, I take my kids everywhere with me because I need them to understand how the world works. It's not just in a in, in a silo, but it's it's a world that they got to become immersed in in order to be great. Yeah. And so mm. let's stick here. Right. Because you said something about parents. Right. And so, you know, a lot of times we don't really delve into the importance uh, that uh, parental engagement may play. And so talk to us about parents, talk to us about some of the things you're seeing and then give us, give parents some tips in terms of how they should show up. And if you could, <laughs> if you could also just include, you know, I'm, I'm curious about what's the percentage of parents that you feel are, you know, as you uh, said, driving the bus in the wrong direction. Cause I'm, I'm curious about that. Cause that's, that's the opposite of my experience. So I'm also curious about like how, you know, what that percentage you feel that you're uh, contending with. So so it's not I, I, I'm not saying it's like 100 percent. You're looking at probably around 10, 12 percent of the uh, parents that we have problems with. I mean, little things. I, I can give you some examples. Uh, my kids are required as a senior to do a, um, a, a thesis paper. It's 26 pages. It's given to them in August and they have to turn it in in April. Right. And so and they have to defend it in the first part of May. Man, I have so many complaints from certain parents, 
that 10% as to it's unfair, it's not given enough time. And I'm saying, listen, it was given to you in August. Like August up to now will suit everybody, the students with special needs, the kids that, that deserve extra time supports, and we provide the, the necessary supports to make sure they are successful. You have parents who are just coddling kids and not letting them understand that once you graduate, it's over. Your voice does not matter. Like you're done. And and a kid has to understand how to be able to live in this world and thrive without the parent, you know? And so in that 10%, and we all know one rotten apple can spoil a whole bunch. And if you don't have a tough administrator that understands how to get to the, the masses and push the agenda, regardless of what's going on, then you will have a fail. And so it's funny because I had some kids wanted to create an insurrection this year on my paper. And that's just not going to happen because the reality is, is that I need those kids to understand that this is going to be your reality when you step out. So, so sir, you, uh, you have some, uh, familiarity with, uh, with, with, with your kid being on, on, on there. I think your, I think your daughter just graduated, correct? She just graduated from Spelman. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, let's 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 talk about that. How, how do you feel like as a parent, you know, and this is stepping out of your 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 school leader hat. Like, how do you feel like what are the things you feel like you and your wife did in order to prepare your daughter to graduate from school? Well, I'll say, I'll say this. You know, I never step out of the role, even as a parent, like because what I expect for my child is what I expect for others. Right. If it's not good enough for my kid, it's not good enough for anyone else. So regardless of that, like, you know, there were trials and times that she was in, in school. And she complained about this or that. And they said, it's not my problem. It's your problem. You, This is something that you're going to have to figure out how to do. We're going to support you. If you need some help studying, you need some help doing research, we'll do that. But I'm not going to do it for you. I'm going to hold you accountable because the world is going to hold you accountable. And so there's no reason for me to change that. You know, a few years back, I wrote a book called Parents, Where Are You? The Kids Are Out of Control. And if we look around the entire world, kids are out of control and we're asking the questions where are the parents but parents are not as a whole there's some great parents let me say that there are some great parents but they're not enough that stepping up to, to to stay involved and you know you can't send a kid home or give a bad phone call and then the kid comes back the next day with jordans on their feet new jordans like new clothes different things that's happening i had a parent that complained this year uh, about uh, the dues that was necessary for graduation, but they spent two thousand dollars on on a prom. I mean, and that to me said that we have our directions. <laughs> okay, uh oh, right. you, uh oh, you done went there, went there. Thing that's going on, man. I mean, if we if, if this is one of the things we're going we're going to talk about this thing and talk about yeah. what we're up against, this is where we are, man. And if we're going to change the trajectory, that's what we got to do. Yeah, you know what? Ahead. People want different things in life, though. I'm just gonna say this much: people yeah. want different things in life. I don't think that the world or society is gonna hold anybody accountable when you leave high school. Is we don't live in an accountability culture. We're seeing examples every day at the highest levels of what a, a, a society that is completely devoid of accountability looks like. What we have is a culture, a, a loser culture, 
where everybody is a loser until you decide one day that you want more and the achieve the people who want those grades go and get those grades the people who want that paper and want that grade go and get that paper and get that grade the people who want that degree go and get that degree we have a loser culture this thing that we're talking about right now in terms of the great resignation where nobody wants to work and nobody wants to go back to work or I just don't want to work in the office anymore. I don't want to do this. I want to work four days a week and get paid for seven. You know, I want to work a six hour day and get paid for 12. You know, well, that's the culture that that's really the culture we live in. And it, it increases the number of losers so that achievement people and hustlers can actually win in the world. Right. Like, oh, you, you, you don't really want to work that hard. OK, cool. You just you stick with that. Right. Those of y'all that want that, you stick oh, with that. Again, Nicole. I, I'm, I'm gonna go ahead. I'm gonna go ahead and get the rest of the paper. And I'm just like trying to be real about my observation of what the total society looks like. There is no accountability. You got people cheating for grades. You got people cheating for what they want in the world. You got people hustling. You got people. You got kids that stay up until two in the morning finishing a book report. And then you got kids you could give it to them like <laughs> two years ago and give them until two years from now, and that paper ain't coming in. That's just the way that the world works, right now. I saw that there was a message in our comments uh, from Brother Kefele, uh, Dr. Kefele, who said, do you have training for those parents who need help understanding these things? Because I'm not going to assume that every parent that isn't doing their job doesn't want to. I'm going to assume that many of them need to be put on to what the game is. Like, this is a game. This is a race. That's what we call it, race <laughs> and the race. This is a race. And other people's uh, kids are in that race race right now fully trained they're fully trained on how to take advantage and to exploit the system because they know that a whole bunch of people aren't going to do what they're doing right to get there so so i guess i would raise that question like i agree with you that i think a lot of parents if every american parent was doing what they should be doing for their kid we would have half the troubles in schools that we we talk about right now we talk about teachers and principals and curriculum and schools and money and funding and all that but we never really say is what i just said if every parent was doing what they were supposed to be doing, half the problems we talk about wouldn't exist right now. But I think that's because people want different things in life. Not everybody wants, like, listen, some people are motivated by a touchdown more than they are than, you know, some gifted and talented class, right? I never liked, uh, uh, you know, like quadratic formulas, right? That was somebody else's gig, not mine. That was Sharif's gig, right, over in Iran, right? That, that's what he was studying. But we want different things. Uh, uh, anyways, cool. I don't know. I just said it out. And I think that's cool, though. Oh, go, go ahead, Dr. Clark. No, I was going to say, Chris, you know, I I, 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 I hear what you're saying. Let, let me back up. And I'm, I'm going to push back. I respect what you said. But I'll, I'll say this. You know, I think that the world will hold you accountable in one way or another. Either you're going to be successful or not. It's like if you can't move forward without having certain things, that means I'm I'm holding you accountable. If you don't have the skill, you don't have the degrees, you don't have the, the knowledge, then you're accountable regardless of how you look at it from that vein, right? I also think that, yeah, people do want different things, but sometimes people don't, they think they can get it for free. So I agree with you when you're talking about people don't want to go back to work, they don't want to do this, they don't want to do that. But at some point, we have to make sure that we under, that, that our young people definitely understand that you know, there's there's a, a a piece that they will be held accountable for. Now, the question around whether or not I do training, absolutely I do. I have this thing called Parent Nation University. So we are training parents once a week around how to actually parent exactly what we're teaching, what to look for, how to make sure that we are working with them. 
how to study, what the tests look like, every every aspect of it from from the doing the entire FAFSA form to taking you all the way through high school from grade eight. We're working with, with parents and we call it Parent Nation University. And that is happening uh, uh, once to get to get them through. So you can understand my 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 frustration when I've been you've been in Parent University or the opportunity, I should say, to be a part of Parent University. And you didn't take that. So by the time the kid gets in the 12th grade, now all of a sudden everything's a blur and you don't know how to get this and i'm being obtuse with the way that i'm focusing on and i'm no nonsense because the reality is that the world doesn't treat black and brown people with fairness mm -hmm. and we understand that yeah i i mean i, I somebody I, I just saw the comment about black mental health did we deflect no this whole conversation is about black mental health this whole conversation Bro, they, they, is they, about, they don't even, don't this, even. This, whole, this entire conversation let me tell you why it's about that because we keep hitting with kids' gloves and we keep talking about these things in nebulous terms and we're not raising our kids, especially our black boys, to be able to survive and thrive in the world that they're actually in. So what I appreciate about this conversation is I appreciate a principal that actually has a point of view. And unless you work in administration, you actually are not. It's crazy how many principals do not have a point of view. So I will, I love what Dr. Clark's thing is, that he actually is, this is the path I'm on. This is who I am. This is in my profile. And parents can choose if they want that or not. I also would feel the same way if a principal came on here who is the vocational principal, right, who said, listen, the country is going in this way. We need people that know how to lay pipes, that know how to do this and know how to work with their hands. Like, we need we need principals that have a point of view. I just feel like it takes courage to have that because any of those people, regardless of what spectrum they are, they are always going to be under attack, especially if they are preparing our black boys for what it is that they need. Look at the state of our black boys in this country. Look at it. And we got people that with their kids is 25, 35, 45. And they're like, well, my baby just need a chance. My baby just need this. But when he was 15 and 16 and we said, this is what we need to do. Then it was a problem and said, well, we we're not using the right language. You're not going soft enough. I wasn't the softness. <laughs> it was not a thing in my community. My community had a lot of things happening and, the, and I didn't have a lot of good educators. But the ones I did have shout out to Mr. Brown, who just retired after 46 years. He prepared us for the world that was outside of his door. And I appreciate him for that because I can weather storms that a lot of people can't. So just to answer that question, one, I want to honor our guests, but two, this entire conversation is about the mental state and the mental reaction and consequence of black boys in this country. And if we gonna keep, we, we gotta, we have a duty to protect and lead our young men in the right direction. So I, I like these type of tough conversations. And I'm just gonna add something to the conversation that I feel like I'm gonna just say it and let, let it go, move on. Don't even put me on big screen. I want the other brothers to catch some of the heat for this because. Uh, <laughs> um, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of people in our own communities that hold very toxic ideas about black males and don't allow us the full range of being who we want to be. Oh, shit. Right. It's true. And it's when true. I say when I say there's a lot of people in our communities, I mean, there's a lot of people raising us that hold some of the same toxic perceptions and, that don't allow black males to be their full range of who they are or have a space. We've had people watch this show and say, where's the women? These, these are four black intelligent black men who came to a point in their life where they were talking to each other on Sunday nights because they needed to and created a show, mm -hmm. a whole ass show. And there's people within our own community who are not black males. Their first question about it, well, where's the women? Right. 
We're not going to talk about it right now. I know we're not going to, but I'm going to tell you that there is a toxic hey. perception of black males, including people who raise them sometimes, who carry the wrong kind of ideas about the full range of who we should be and how we can be. And I'm going to leave it there. Yeah, now, I mean, I think when... Oh, go thank, ahead, Ray. Thank you. Oh, and I, and I, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that was, but anyway. Who wants you to anyway, talk? Go ahead. I came off mute, but anyway. The... um. I think a couple things. I think one, it reminds me of the conversation we had uh, uh, with Hillary Beard uh, a few years ago, right? And talking about like, where do black boys, all the research, where do black boys thrive? And it was the strict authoritative, right? And I think sometimes, you know, people who are raising us, our, our parents, our community, um, you know, we will often cite like, oh, this is how they looked at, uh, black boys are looked at as older and this. I've seen three-year-old black boys punched in the chest by parents telling them to toughen up. I've heard, you know, I've, I've seen, you know, multiple times, not like some one off. Like, I, I mean, it is a, a subculture of, uh, in, in our communities that will have a three-year-old, a four-year-old punched in the chest and told, stop crying. Then he grows up into be a, a man later. And then folks are like, yo, get in touch with your feelings. Why aren't you sensitive enough? Why aren't you this? Right. Like, and so, you know, and I, and I, like, I think we have to be so careful about, you know, um, you know, understanding like what a gift that children are um, to us, you know, from God, uh, what it means to raise them, what it means to protect them, uh, what it means like, you know, their spirit, their soul and the messages that get reinforced into their psyche. Because then we want to blame them when they get old. And yes, we all have to overcome some levels of trauma. But some of the stuff, these are self-inflicted wounds within our community. And then we're blaming these black men about how they ended up where they are or what their, you know, misconception about, you know, life is. And their disconnect with, with you know, uh, with emotions and, and softness and stuff like that. Like, we, we have to hold ourselves accountable, right? You know, and you layer that with the don't tell me how to raise my kid or don't say nothing to me if you see me uh, beaten, right? Like, you got this whole thing that happens in you know in public right like we see it these ain't this ain't no secret abuse this is these are this is abuse that we see black boys go through and it manifests itself in different ways throughout their childhood and life and we have to recognize that and so and when i talk about so black being black in america being black in american schools these are some of the things that i'm talking about Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you right we're talking about like beating you know beating you know beating kids how many states still beat kids the majority of them are who, and remember, they got to get that got to get signed off on. And people are like, "Yeah, beat." Them. I appreciate you. I appreciate you naming that, but then also, you know, I, I feel like it's important for us to for us to talk about for for us, for us to kind of give this some give this some light and give this some whim. Chris, thank you for uh for for, for broaching it and having enough courage to to broach this conversation, but um. We look at we, we look at some some of our young boys and some of our young boys don't grow, get to get the ability to be able to grow up to be young men because they then replace the men that are in their house. So like if men are no longer in their house, then the women that are in the house look at this young boy as now being the man of the house. Right. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. there are a lot mm -hmm. of responsibilities that come along with that. But we don't never really talk about that. Right. And so then that's your kid is not your man. Go ahead, yes. bro. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But we don't but we don't we don't talk about it because when we do, it's like, all right, well, we're being toxic for naming it as opposed to us being able to have real dialogue about what's occurring so that we can fix the problem. 
right? And so, you know, a lot of folks got to be able to look in the mirror and look at themselves in terms of like, all right, well, you know, this naming this problem and then being able to address it, it can't just be, all right, when this, when this kid is, you know, on a pathway to prison or when this kid is, you know, grown and not really doing the things that they should be doing. Now therapy's there to fix it when there's things that you could have done to be proactive about addressing it. Hey, and Ray, I think you're touching on something. I just want to just, and this for the educators and Chris, you can participate in this part or not. You don't have to. Educators on here. Raise your hand if you've had to bury a black boy while they were still a boy, right? Raise your, you know what I'm saying? Got to take guns off of kids. Got to help kids with regulation of their emotions and feelings. And this is the thing. Ask yourself, why do, like, black boys flock to sports and why is that? And, and there, is no, there is no absence of emotions in sports. Going to the losing locker room at a state championship game. Ask me how I know. We was all sitting in our lockers crying, having those emotions, feeling those feelings. When you send your boy to me, I'm going to give him a job. I'm going to talk about the role of being, what it means to be a young man, how the world perceives him, and what it means to be an actual man. Like a lot of these lessons are not in that household. And then sometimes there are people that like to, you know, I, I just, I, I don't want to get overly emotional with it. But the point, and, and if we're going to have a conversation Let's have a damn conversation. Right. You know what I'm saying? So when we talk about what 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 mental health is for black boys, for black men, when we talk about the work that all of us as the five men on here have had to unlearn, redo, get back in alignment because of the things that we had to deal with. There's a lot of men running around in these streets that had to be their mama's man and their son. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of situations like that. And if we're going to have these conversations, let's have them. You know what I mean? But I think that I appreciate you, Dr. Clark, again. I don't think people understand what risk it is for you as, a, as, as, that, as that principal to have a point of view. I don't think they understand what it is for Ray to have a point of view, for Sharif to have a point of view, for Dr. Kalefe to have a point of view. And we, and as men, you have been conditioned. We have been taught that we can't even get into the weeds of that. We got to just keep going. We got to just keep doing what we need to do. So some of these comments, and it's fine, do the comments. I love our community and I love having this conversation, but once you open that door, <laughs> it's open. And door I think open. It, it, yeah. it's, it's open. And I just left a city. We just showed a, we just showed a movie called half day, 15 minutes short about two boys with a stepdad situation. And it's all about how they deal with their emotions. And one kid is innocent and one kid is not innocent and why that is and the pressure that that young man puts on them. So you need a principal, a leader, an educator or a community organization that has structure. We need structure. Our babies are asking for structure and in lack of structure, they survive. You cannot raise me in the jungle with jungle principles and then be upset that I don't know how to operate in the boardroom. You, you can't do it. You can't do what we said. So to do that. that's all I'm saying. Right now, and you know, I love Dr. Clark to come back in. Right now, I think you're just getting 50 something minutes into the conversation. We're just getting, I think, to the doorstep of the mind F that America does to black males from day one until at day 18, if they make it to day 18, right? Mm. Uh, punch you in the chest at three years old or whatnot. Toughen up, be a man, don't do this, don't feel that, blah, blah, blah. Become a threat. And then at, at 15, 16, you a threat. We're going to put you away. We're going to do all kinds of other things to you whatnot. We trained you to be your own kind of prisoner, right? We did it on purpose, and everybody played a role in it. The people closest to you played a role in it. The people you were supposed to trust played a role in it. The state, the government, everybody. It is almost as if it's a design. It's, a, it's almost if it's, a, it's by design 
that you do this to black males. And I'm going to say something a little bit provocative, then I'm going to shut up. I'm going to leave it alone. But but when we talk about the, the kind of the, the sins that are visited upon black girls for oftentimes, mm -hmm. we do it through the frame of we give the boys all the attention and then we don't give the girls attention or whatnot. And I actually just want to say in a discussion with just black men, I don't believe that that's true, to be very honest with you. Right. I believe it's just the opposite or whatnot. Black, there is no sympathy for black males as a victim of everything that I just said. The sympathy for the black male as a victim, as a victim for these things that I just said from day one, from birth one, from being beat up and told to like strengthen up and tighten up and don't show no emotion and don't show no feelings and don't be weak and all that stuff to beat him if he if he does the wrong thing to there ain't nobody else in the house. So let's adultify you. We're going we're gonna to curtail your childhood. So all that stuff about being a student and enjoying your student years and being, a, you know, just a person growing, being a teenager or whatnot, we're going to curt curtail all that, whatnot. And then we start looking at numbers and statistics and act like we're surprised that we're coming out on the wrong side of the statistics, the outcomes, the numbers, the, you know, the, the we pretend like we're surprised at the end of it all, right? Educated people pretend like they're surprised at the, well, what are we doing wrong? Well, shit, I don't know. We just talked about it. I'm going to let y'all take it from there, right? Uh, like, Dr. You know, Dr. Clark, jump, jump back in here, man. I, 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 every, I agree with everything you said. I mean, this is crazy. It, it, it is uh, that we treat them that way. That's the reason why we need more uh, uh, black educators that are leaders that have decision-making abilities to make things happen, man, because part of, part of what we're, we're dealing with is that we got to change that trajectory. I'm always telling young males, you're not hard, you're smart. You are focused on something different. Like we got to change this whole trajectory around it. It's okay to cry. It's okay to talk about what you're not feeling good about. It's okay. But at the end of the day, we got to snap out of it because we still got a job to do. And I think once the kids understand, once these young black males understand what their job is, they can get it done. I'm not an advocate. I'm always a, a, a telling, I tell mothers all the time, that young man is your son, not your man. So you got to make sure that he understands his role because he's there to be. And if he's the only male in the house, this guy has a responsibility to go out and live his truth and make things happen. And on the back end of that, be able to respond with respect towards you, but not necessarily take the place of what another man male companion would do in your household. So we're fighting against that because these moms, unfortunately, and I'm not trying to put moms down because let me let me clarify, let me say this one thing. Without women in the community, they are the backbone of the community. The brothers got to get back into what we're doing right now. This is the work, you know, and we've had strong women that are there, but somehow or another, they get skewed when they have sons and understand that, you know, that, that, that the sons can't be a relationship partner when they're your son. They have a, there's a responsibility to the community to be leaders. And, and, in my organization, I'm training young men to be leaders as well as the young ladies to be leaders. And, and that's the reason why I'm keeping them in school. So, you know, we don't do really suspension. I do community service in my building. If you're going to show off, you're going to do community service. You know, it, it takes something real strong for me to put you out 
of the building because I can't do no work with you. And if I put you out, that means I'm putting you back with your mom who's going to continue to give you bad habits or the streets is going to give you bad habits. I need you in there with me so I can continue to mold you because I spend more time with you in a day than your parents spend with you. So I need that time in order to motivate and to change the trajectory so we can have some young men who can go out and be great as they move forward. Bro, I so appreciate this conversation. And folks in the audience are asking for a part two. And so, Dr. Clark, I don't know if we got to reach out to your to your to your label to, to to figure this out. Hey man, you got you got listen, I'm honored, man, and to be with y'all. You know, I got I got a picture we had in Oakland, and 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 I remember when I put it on Facebook, they was like, That's more than eight black hands. I was like, Well, you know, I was just a guest. Put me in uh, on, you know, because that's a powerful statement. But I'm proud of the fact that I'm sitting with a group of powerful black men who are focused on education and changing the trajectory. Because a lot of times we don't address what's the real issue. Our kids grew up in communities, man, where they went two blocks over to go to uh, a grammar school. They went three blocks over to go to to go to uh, uh, a junior high. And then they, they went three more blocks to go to high school. And they never got out to see anything. So it's important to, to, to me to make sure that we give everybody uh, 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 the information our kids that, that's necessary. So I'm coming back. You had to call nobody, man. Just hit me. You know how to just hit me and let me know. I want to be here with the brothers, man. At some point, y'all got eight black hands, and then y'all say eight black hands plus plus two. I want to make sure I'm getting on there to make sure I'm with it. And and, and somebody asked me what school did I lead. I lead Richard Wright schools in Washington, D.C., uh, and, and I'm excited about it. I grew up in West Philly, man, and it is it's one of those things for me that it, it, it's, it's oh, so man. important. Man, I wish you would have said that. That, that, one, that dude in the bottom left corner about to act up, man. Hey, what, what, what school did you go to? What school did you go to in Philly? Hey, man, I went to I, I went to Martha Washington, man. I went to Selzberger, and then I went to University City High. Yeah, which is all of those schools, unfortunately, closed. Hmm. That wow. tells you, and the leadership was poor back then. All right, mm-hmm. it was poor back then, mm-hmm. and and you, the residual could have been Doctor Clark because everything that's a problem with with schools is charter schools, and so it could not have been bad before <laughs> right, right. charter schools. Right. Came. Right. No, 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 you're mistaken, no, sir. Yeah, no I'm issues to charter schools. You're mistaken. I'm really happy uh, that let me, I, you know, that's another discussion to talk about charter schools. That's not because to me, charter schools are, are is what's happening. That's that's what I got. That's where we are. We, we charter schools are, are, are we're taking the most most diverse kids from all over the, the city because they want to go. That's a whole nother discussion, man. Don't start me on that. I'm just hey, saying. I, well, let, well let's, let me ask you a question to, to crystallize it for our people. I know we had time, but like you know, do you feel like you got more freedom and leeway to lead a school the way that you need to in a charter system? And two, do you think it's it's one A, do you think you'd be able to be as strong headed, as strong with a, such a strong black male plan uh, if you were in the traditional system in your city? So let me let me answer the question, because I've done both. Right. The charter school is the way to go. And the reason being is because it's not holistic education. It is individualized. So. It, from from August to 
let's say August to October, if there's an issue with what's going on around the uh, 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 with education and how kids are moving forward, I can change the curriculum. I can make the adjustment. Like we, I can call the audible what's necessary to make this thing happen for these kids so I can get better results. When I was in a traditional system, it was nothing I could do about it. The, 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 the curriculum was what it was. They expected you to teach it from that perspective and they held me to the fire to make that happen. I'm so blessed to be able to be out, to have that, because uh, I, I can bring people in. I had Master P in the building last Monday talking about financial literacy and things that. like that. You can't do that stuff in a traditional school without getting all these people to, to sign off on it, man. So I'm a, I, I'm a proponent of charter schools and, and schools that promote independent uh, choice and independent mindsets. Mm. Yeah, man, this has been such a, a dope conversation. This is, this is, this has definitely moved me. Um, hey, I'm I'm definitely I'm willing to part to it. Uh, I know we got some other guests coming up and some some other things lined up, but I, I will reach out to you and uh, I'll give the fans what they want. Possibly do something with uh, Principal Cafele at the same time, and we'll part two of this. Um, I think that'll be dope. Um, so we'll roll into closing thoughts. Uh, Reefus, we'll start with you, sir. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I'm I'm appreciative of this space, you know, um, and I think. You know, and somebody put this in the chat and, and I, I agree with it. And Chris, you know, brought up the sisters. You know, I, I, I think it's both. You know, when, when Malcolm says, you know, uh, black women, and which means also girls are the most disrespected. Um, you know, I 100 percent believe that. And I believe, you know, black boys are, you know, the most feared um, and and uh, punished in, in a very peculiar way. I um, mean, this country that I think can trace back to. Um, you know, enslavement and, and things that were learned in that, you know, um, and we learn best from our oppressors. And unfortunately, our, our black boys uh, catch the brunt of it. I also hope in part two, you know, and I'll, I'll say this now, you know, I, I think we also have to, and this came up as well, this idea of like what masculinity is, what's healthy uh, masculinity. Uh, because I, you know, I remember when a young man said, oh, the whole problem with the world is masculinity. And I said, you mean toxic masculinity? He said, no, masculinity. And I said, I actually love and embrace my masculinity. Um, and I <laughs> love and yeah. embrace the fact that you don't yours. But, you know, like just the idea that that in itself is looked at as negative is part of the problems when we think about mindsets matter most and how people are defined and, and pigeonholed, um, you know, that everybody has to act uh, you know in one way or or discount themselves or if we're talking about showing up fully and wholly for everybody that includes me that includes me and that includes mm -hmm. my boys mm -hmm. yeah that's what's mm -hmm. up um chris we'll go to you um you know i i appreciate this conversation tonight and i appreciate where we went with it i think where we got to late in the game uh around the deeper discussion of what could go into talking about blackmail mental health, blackmail, education, and educational prospects. All of that could be a much deeper conversation, but I don't know that you can have that conversation in mixed company. And by mixed, I, I even mean that there need to be some single gender conversations because the way that I experience people both citing this discussion that we're talking about when we're talking about this right now is the same way when, when you say black lives matter and people say all lives matter is the way that I experienced some of the comments tonight when we're trying to talk specifically about us and specifically about our situation. An example that 
uh, Sharif just gave. Like, I think masculinity is the problem. Uh, I think an article that Charles and I have talked about privately offline a couple years ago that said that straight black men are the white people of black people, right? That tells me that we can't have this conversation in mixed company or else it'll, it'll result in violence. Because I experience when I tell you that we need to talk about the realistic kind of mind F that is happening to the black male psyche from birth until incarceration or birth until um, the black tax, the black achievement tax, or but you, mm -hmm. you never really truly free. When I'm telling you about that pathway, I'm expecting you to focus. Hold in your mind that that is the focus of this discussion. We're not talking about everybody else in the world or every other thing or your defensiveness about the role that you have played in that perversion of, of the black male uh, development. We're not talking about all that other stuff. We're talking about this right now, but you can't do it because there literally is no sympathy for the black male. Zero, even amongst people who claim to love them, right? And we will always be in competition or in contrast, or what about us? Or what about everything else? Or I get what you're saying, but let's, I'm done with it. I'm done with it. We can't have this conversation if it's going to be real and truthful in mixed company. That's, all, that's my final word on it. Yeah, that's what's up. Uh, Dr. Cole. Yeah, man. Uh, one, just thanks to our guests for being here, man. I'm glad Oakland was the place that we, where you met us because I know uh, Sharif is going to big you up from just, you know, being born in Philly because you had a choice in that. But uh, <laughs> but I, his spirit, you know, is that what it his was? Spirit led him here, you know. Yeah, so I, I appreciate. It. Well, you know, Elaine Brown is my is 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 my other uh, leader. So you know, she's a. Uh, I know she's your Philly person, but she's Oakland. But I but I I agree with everything Chris said. I think that. Their conversation. Listen, the women that I know and love that are in my life, they 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 want their men to be. They they they're like, yo, there's a role that we need our men to play, um, and this is what that role is. And I think what what Sharif said was actually, I'm glad Sharif was the one who said it. Uh, I, I I think Sharif is just very elegant in his execution of things uh, and how he says that, or you know. And I think that there's an awfulization of everything that kind of has to do with us in this moment, and there's this moment in time where it is. Not just uh, an issue for me, but is it is it is financially advantageous to make boys, black boys, the 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 brunt of every single issue, uh, and to awfulize them and to like deny them what they need, and then punish them the harshest uh, when those things, you know, when they when they when they live out uh, the path that they've been set on. I think that I appreciate this a black hand space for this very reason. And somewhere along the line, I mean, we got popular and I love our guests and thank you for chiming in. I mean, we don't have to agree with every single thing that comes up, but we made let's let's be very clear about why this space was made. It was made for our own mental health purposes. It was made for our own sanity. It was made so that we can continue to function in this work as whole people and not go crazy doing it. And we just have allowed and invited people into that conversation. But I'm ready for us to take a turn back to where we started. I, I need it. And I think that the brothers here need it. I think that, again, you saw every hand go. And we said, how many of us have buried black boys? You know, how many single moms have we had to hold and watch uh, uh, bury their child? And, and, and you know what I'm saying? How many how many homes have I, have I gone into as a social worker and seen rolls out of whack? 
ma'am, that child is a, that's an 11 year old boy. That is your son. That is not your man. And I know that that hits people in a different type of way. And and, and, and you treat him like he your man at 11. And then at 23, when he can't get right and he leaning on you and you confused about what happened. And I know we got our issues and we have issues as a community, but this is how you start healing. You start healing by having these conversations. You start healing by confronting these things. And, you know, I said this to Sharif before the thing before the show started. I asked him if he heard that Kendrick Lamar album and whether he likes it or not. Like, you know, what I'm saying I think there's a lot of conversation in there. That's what that album was. That album was him going into like generations of trauma, like his mom being like sexually abused, like his, his issues with his aunt, issues in his family, issues with himself. Now that he's a father and a husband. And this is the first time he's been able to do that. And he's 33 years old with all the money in the world. So if somebody that's 33 with all the money in the world, all the language in the world, access to all the to, to, to every type of therapist you can have. And he's just now having that awakening. Then what's happening to kids in West Philly? What's happening to kids on the south side of Chicago? What's happening to Rays that grow up in the south, become what they are and become leading schools in, in New York? What's happening to a kid from Chicago that grows up in Oakland? Right. Like we have to have that space to do what we need to do for us because we are charged to be leaders in our community next to and with our black women. And you can't these Twitter narratives, these social narratives. It ain't it. They do not love us. They are not here for us and they do not want us in this together. But we are here together. And if you want us here together in our best selves, we got to be able to have these conversations. So, Chris, it can be in closed doors. It can be here. But. There will be a change in how I approach some of these conversations, man, because um, this ain't this ain't a coddling space. This is a survival space. This is a needed space. So, Ray, I think you put on a good show. I think, Dr. Clark, I think you did a great job. Sorry for being long winded. But damn it, that's why we built the show. We built the show so we don't choke somebody while we're doing the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate that. Hey, uh, Dr. Clark, man, you, you lead us out. Listen, I, I, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for this great conversation, man, to be around some amazing uh, black men who are focused on changing our community, man, building black men, building black culture and building black families and making a major mark on education. We got to stand. We need leaders. That's what's going on in our community right now. The reason things are going backwards is because we don't have the leaders. And this is a great platform that you guys have created. I'm honored to just be here amongst uh, 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 an outstanding uh, a group of uh, a mighty men of valor who are making things happen. And, you know, I want to continue to push this as we move forward, you know, um, and, and, and not take our foot off of it. It's going to be painful. You know, everybody understands that change requires, it's, it's painful whenever there's change, you know, but as, as Frederick Douglass says, power can seize nothing without demand. And we got to make sure that we are at that point now where we are demanding certain things to happen. And that means we can't sugarcoat stuff. The problem with our community is that nobody wants to talk about it nobody really wants to say that this is going on this is what's happening this is and and we don't want to confront the problem it's like we want to hide it we can't do that any longer because the more we hide things and the more we don't talk about it and the more we let people get away with it it's just pushing us further back and look at all the i watched selman this afternoon uh and i was just thinking about all the bloodshed and and everything that people went through in order to push this to another level and we can't give up now 
this is it's too critical. This stuff is critical right now. We can't give up now. We got to keep pushing and we got to push stronger than ever. It doesn't matter if some of the people that looks just like us uh, get angry with us because angry is all right as long as we making change happen. And that is necessary for us to do. And we can't be scared about it. Like you can't be scared to say what's necessary, you know, and 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 that's it. We got to have a purpose in place. And I'll leave you guys, man, with what we say every day at Richard Wright Schools on the way out. We do that triple L thing. We set limits. We teach lessons and we do it all in the name of love. And we do it because we love each and every one of those young people. Hmm. His other question, we asked him a question. Will you give up on yourselves? They don't have to say a thing because the answer to that lies in their behavior. Because we just look at their behavior to see exactly where they're coming from. And we make sure that we are doing that each and every day. Every kid knows it. It becomes part of their reality. And we know what's introduced to the mind over and over again becomes your reality. And that's what we got to push to make sure that we are breathing something in the people and in these young people that they can believe that they can take with them forever. Yeah, man. Um, the problem with producing a show like this is that there's so many things that I want to say, but then as the moderator, I don't really get a chance to jump in, but you guys captured uh, an amazing uh, show and I appreciate you all. And so um, uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, we appreciate you, and uh, we'll see you next week.